Hello and welcome back to Season 3 of Sequelizers. This, of course, is the show all about fixing the bad sequels to good movies. If there was a good movie that was followed by a terrible sequel, you better believe we're going to try and fix it. As always, I am your host, Jack Chambers, and joining me are the two teams of titular Sequelizers. The team of Mr. Alec Plowman. Hello. And Mr. Stuart Ashen. Again, hello. And their mortal enemies, Mr. Tim Matum. Hello. And Mr. Matthew Stogden. Again, hello. There's so many hellos. Four. Yeah, no. (laughs) It's like there's four people in the room with me. And in this episode, we're going to be discussing why a sequel to a 70s disaster movie needs fixing. And it's it's a bit of a weird one, because it's also a 70s disaster movie, but it's not a good one. We're talking about 1979's Beyond the Poseidon Adventure. And I will say that now. I hadn't heard of this film before we discussed it for this show. I'd heard of the first one, but never seen it, and had had no idea it had sequels or that it was based on a book or anything else. So I guess before we get into why the sequel is so god-awful, why do we like the first one? Why was it, it? It was a huge success at the time. It was made really, really low budget. It had like a $4 million budget and made loads of money. And Owen Allen, who was also the director of the second one, was kind of the guy for these disaster movies and it was a real big thing in the 70s and yeah had you guys seen both before the original alec had you seen poseidon adventure oh, and beyond? Yeah, yeah i was i was familiar with the original uh poseidon adventure less so with uh beyond until sequelizers necessitated <laughs> um such is the case with so many of these films like, yeah i haven't seen that terrible sequel for I, a good fucking reason i knew of the second one by reputation but um yeah yeah i'd seen the first one and it's great I, I really like the first Poseidon Adventure. It's very much of its time as a film, but it, it works it works really well. It's a justified classic, I think. I don't know uh, at what age in particular I saw it, but I seem to see quite a lot of the 70s disaster movies populated with tons and tons of celebrities all in one go. So Towering Inferno, uh, Earthquake, Airport, all of them seem to be in like a, a couple of weeks, basically. I, I was watching... Almost all of them. Were there like reruns at like two o'clock in the morning? Uh, on, like a, yeah. yeah, some sort of like Saturday, Sunday kind of thing over a series of weeks. And so very quickly I'd seen quite a few of them. And mostly it was my dad saying to me, oh, this is so-and-so or that's so-and-so actor. My mum saying the same thing. Oh, it's Steve McQueen. I'm like, who the fuck is Steve McQueen? And why do I give a shit? <laughs> and why, why is he insisting on uh, diagonal billing? <laughs> And um, this was a side adventure, again, I really enjoyed. So when I watched Titanic at the age of 12 in the cinema, I was like, oh, like side adventure. I get it. Because I already experienced a boat that had, you know, was being filled with water and things. Sorry, it's a ship, not a boat. <laughs> Titanic. It's a super liner. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, they, I mean, the thing is, for the early 70s ones especially, because it, it, it um, disappeared as soon as it arrived as well. It was a real kind of flash in the pan, kind yeah, of, wasn't completely. it? Yeah, completely. And there were so many of them in one go. It, it was the key thing. It wasn't just it was this, you know, a terrible disaster happens to individuals in a certain circumstance. It was also that it was populated with so many famous people. And they were in tiny bit parts. And again, that, that had happened before in the past. But this combination of this kind of thing, you could kill off all kinds of famous people and think, oh my God, I, I can't believe you just did that with X, Y, Z or 
you've made this individual this kind of character or whatever. You know, it's a chance to just almost in a way, much like the short film anthology mindset, you get to do so much with little tiny short stories. I mean, Towering Phone is a great example of it. It's usually almost that everyone comes together, there's a story going on and everyone separates into their own separate bits. There was a, I think Emilio Estevez directed, this is not the same sort of thing, but Bobby. Oh yeah, I've seen that. Yeah, which is, it's, it's okay, but it's the same thing. A little tiny vignettes based around one big event. This is the assassination of Bobby Kennedy. And it doesn't really, not that it doesn't work these days, but you don't see it very often. The idea you've got tons of huge actors coming in for, for small pieces. But for the early 70s, it was just a very big popular thing and did really, really well. And I think they very much of their time and uh, quite cool. The other recent quasi-example would be Movie 43, which had Fucking loads of... Hell. <laughs> that in of itself, a disaster. Yeah, and also the... Uh, was it Gary Marshall who did a load of them? Like the New Year's Eve and Valentine's Day oh, and, yeah, and that, that kind of thing, thing, where it was, yeah, let's get a load of famous people in one place and have them only work for like three days, but then we'll make be able to make a movie out of it. No, you're entirely right. That that is our contemporary equivalent now. Yeah, it's the Love Actually thing, where oh god, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, they're all romantic comedies. That's that's what they've evolved into. Fuck, (laughs) Alan Rickman's in this for seven minutes. Yeah, yay. Yes, the old ensemble cast, which, as you say, is now only in the romantic comedy. But there was much more peril around Marvel Universe. I guess (laughs) that's a bunch of famous people coming together over one event. I guess. Yeah, but there's there's a lot more foreshadowing in the Marvel Universe by each of them having individual films. (laughs) Whereas Gene Hackman's Preacher, I don't think got his own. Was it Scott Preacher's character name? Scott? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I don't think he had his own film in the Poseidon cinematic universe that I remember. Oh, if only he did, though. Mm. It's The Exorcist. Yes. (laughs) But yeah, it's one of those things, I think, really, why does the Poseidon adventure work? Uh, Really strong characterization, great acting, and constant sense of peril, I suppose. Yeah, Yeah. I think the the sense of peril is a thing that is really instrumental as to why that first one works, because it was the first time I was watching it when I watched it for this like I said, I'd heard of it, but never gone back and seen it in full. I think I'd seen clips of it because I recognised like moments and it's obviously been referenced in things. And for those of you who don't know, it's about a giant ship that sinks and everyone has to try and it capsizes, yeah, and everyone has to... Yeah, it very specifically doesn't sink because oh, otherwise yeah, the second over. one wouldn't yeah. work. Sorry, yes. <laughs> it capsizes and stays afloat. Therefore, the second film could work because it's still there. You've got Gene Hackman, Leslie Nielsen, Ernest Borgnine... Shelley Winters? Shelley Winters. Yeah, Um, Yeah, because it won like four Oscars at the time Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, yeah. And in fact, the second one was the first Owen Allen movie not to get (laughs) an Academy Award nomination, including The Swarm, which is fucking terrible. Yeah, it is. And still got, I think it got a makeup or a design, costume design nomination. So yeah, it it was in part of those, that era, like Matt was saying, it's kind of this flash in the pan thing where there was a bunch of those movies in like a seven or eight year period that just covered all the possible natural disasters you could think of and even going on later into the air you've got twister and things like that as well yeah, and it's like yeah. stuff you don't really have these days but then well san andreas well, yes yeah, san- yeah absolutely and skyscraper coming soon yeah. and unless it stars the rock yes exactly yeah. <laughs> it's it's an interesting thing because it is very much a a movie cycle that 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 Poseidon kind of kicks off. It's funny that Poseidon Adventure is really the first, and then also the movie that very much stops it dead in its tracks. 
with the sequel and then it's all localized within and it's within that five-year period that you get things like uh, earthquake and uh, airport and towering inferno all come out around the time and as Stuart said i think the thing that makes poseidon adventure work is that it is very character driven and as a result of that i think that you have this situation that on paper is kind of ridiculous there is so much going on and so much thrown against them but there's a strong human element in there that makes it really tangible makes it really believable from an audience perspective and i think that's what people resonated with it's all it's also a weird thing when you consider what's going on in hollywood at the time because hollywood's in a very interesting place in the early 70s with the whole new hollywood movement and this in some respects seems to go against the grain of that but in other respects completely affirms it it's yeah it's strange in that sense i'm gonna swoop in before the twitter commenters and say i believe airport was actually 1970 before the poseidon adventure and was was. the one that kind of started it and then Poseidon Adventure really popularised them, and then you get Towering Inferno and Earthquake and stuff. And was but like famously say, parodied in Airplane. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yes, and then like you say, along comes Beyond the Poseidon Adventure to kill them off. Although, <laughs> And what I, a job it did. <laughs> there's probably some other factors in there, like Star Wars happening in that period yes. as well. But also, just uh, following on from what you said there, Airplane happening yes. in beforehand. I think by the time that something has reached such peak saturation that you have this iconic and endlessly quotable parody of it. And an airplane stands alone. Like a lot of people probably haven't seen airport that have seen airplane and people know airplane backwards and forwards. Like, yeah, you're totally right. that airplane kind of parried it, parodied it to the point of success that it kind of negates the original almost. It's so it's then so difficult to make a film after that with a straight face when the audience is so attuned to what the cliches of this genre are. And I think it's interesting that it, it comes back in the 90s in a very different way, the disaster movie, with a very different set of tropes. And Stuart's favourite of Independence Day yeah. being one of those. Well, yeah. Independence Day is the one that, I mean, you've also got Twister, but I'd say Independence Day is really the one that kickstarts that. And um, dueling... Dante's Peak and Volcano. Oh yeah, and that was Armageddon and Deep Impact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, although those weird moments where people are thinking the same thing at the same yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's interesting. So we're talking about the the way it's died out as a as a movement, if you will. I think a lot of it as well because once you've got the formula down, it's easy to just like parody and satire and just to to just dismiss. But I think as well, may, people may not realize that uh, the Poseidon Adventure is based on the book, and in the same way, like The Godfather and Die Hard, to a degree. And in the same way as The Godfather and Die Hard to a degree, things would change from the book to make it much more, not watered down, and I definitely don't mean that as a like pun. like cinema friendly, really? Yes, exactly, yeah. 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 Same thing with, with Jaws, for example. But the book had some weird shit. I mean, because the cinema in the 70s was getting like, no, people want realistic, they want gritty, they want Bullet and Godfather, they want things that are, are going to be hard hitting and, and Serpico and that kind of stuff. Uh, we don't want to see what uh, studios because the studios are pushing out like huge musicals at the time which were going fucking nowhere and it's like oh we don't know the audience anymore we're losing out to these independent people in this new Hollywood as, as Alex says earlier I, I mean have you I, I haven't read the book myself have you read the synopsis of the books yeah and the it's... shit and the the, we- the weird ending specifically I mean the, 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 the only thing it was going to say was that the boat sinks in the end it does yes which obviously then they had to say oh well, when you want to come back which was the, the original plan in the script for the film and they changed it last minute exactly yeah. but then there's this weird 
Okay, in in the film, it doesn't include this at all. There's a sub-story about a character getting raped. And by a guy from Hull, if I remember correctly. (laughs) (laughs) It's a a key detail. We shouldn't laugh, but that's a weird detail. It's a weird detail. And um, uh, it's like, oh, this is awful. And then he becomes a sympathetic character. And she warms to him in the sort of like way that it's, oh, he was just scared. And it's like, as a contemporary reader, you're like, this is weird. And then at the end of the book, she, they're like, oh, the, the boat's going down. My child isn't coming back. And oh, it's all very worrying. Oh, okay, we, we got it. We're alive. And one of the characters says, what's in her mind, is like, I hope I'm pregnant. And I hope I can go to Hull and uh, carry on this guy's line and meet his parents. Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Who wrote this mad bullshit? Well, that happens a lot with the original Poseidon. But there's just weird shit. Of like, yeah. I'm a fat chick. I can't do that. I'm like, whoa, okay, that's weird. Yeah. And there's kind of weird very sort of like of its time insensitive yeah. un-PC moments Brazen, like, weird oh, comments yeah it is, it is not a great film to be a woman in no oh, definitely not you, you get to be weak and screaming and that's about it really yes yeah it's like Shelley or, Winters or fat and dead yes <laughs> like, oh, God. Yeah, well yeah because she saves everyone she by says, swimming then, then has a heart attack I've forgotten away, that yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like she is the most competent woman and gets her one moment to shine after being like fat shamed throughout the entire film yep. and then promptly dies yes um, and I quote she's thinner in the water <laughs> Oh, God, really? (laughs) That's how she describes the way she swims. There are so many weird things that that Gene Hackman says in that film that are sort of used for levity and comedy that just don't seem to chime right. One of them is like, like, Rogo, played by Elias Borgnine, is like, what do we tell the husband? It's like, don't don't say anything. It's like, that's kind of weird. I get it. But then then also, like, um, Rogo, again, very seriously, is saying to this kid, hey, kid, you know how thick one inch steel is? And then Gene Hackman leads and says, it's one inch less less than two inches <laughs> i'm like what is happening i mean here? he's not he's not wrong man no i know it's literally <laughs> correct but also his character is very um a, a for lack of a better word i'd say a, a republican slash conservatives wet dream <laughs> where it's like i was in the priesthood god saving you no 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 you got to save yourself <laughs> and it's like right that sounds like some republican telling me atlas shrugged is the way forward i'm like yeah okay so again, it's just screaming at a room full of people saying, no one's going to save you. Oh, by the way, I, I'm a preacher. No one's going to save you. you can, it's like, all right. And I get the idea of the sort of self-enabling, but then also the, the rest of the... Then him just like ramming his hand up some lady's arse. Yeah. 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 It's, it's very 70s, that's all I'm going to say. We also get the weird, talking of like weird and attitudes to women. We also get the whole... Calling it a subplot is giving it too much credit. Recurring moment where we're reminded that Rogo's wife is a pr- used to be a oh, prostitute yeah. oh, or still is man. a prostitute yeah. or yeah. something. She better take that dress off. And it's like, it's like, uh, like hell. Yes. Like it's written by Frank Miller or something. Yes. <laughs> God. That's a sequel I'd like to Frank Miller's Poseidon Adventure. <laughs> we could potentially do Sin City 2. Oh, my uh, God. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's a, that's a feature episode right there. But overall, it's uh, it's it's as much as we're, we're slating it now. It's more of a sort of humorously looking back on something, almost affectionately saying, "Ah, oh, there are some really silly moments." But the whole of the film is acceptable. Oh yeah, it, ke- it keeps like- up. It keeps up a really good level of tension. Like yeah. that's exactly what Stuart said. I think that's yeah. the the key thing, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Which beyond completely oh, fails no. to do. Oh, so it? yeah, Let, let's get on to the sequel, shall we? So yeah, there's no stakes in this. Yeah. <laughs> 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 It doesn't matter. 
there's no tidal wave. There's no thing to build up to because you get that in the first two minutes and the weird little recast recap thing that happens. And then, oh, no, it's just a, we're just we're just salvages. Yeah, it's, it's very weird. So a synopsis of Beyond the Poseidon Adventure. And as you can tell, well, I might have uh, edited this one. <laughs> Erwin Allen attempts to recapture the success of the Poseidon Adventure by basically just recapping the first one <laughs> with oddly recast, not really similar actors. The lineup is turned upside down after being smashed by a tidal wave in the first one, and it takes a few seconds of screen time before they just move on from that and get into the actual film, which, as I said, basically has no stakes because it's just a fight between salvagers, one team led by Michael Caine's character Mike, I want another one led by Carl Malden's character, Wilbur. And you've also got Sally Field Celeste in there as well. And you've got, like, generic bad guy, played by um, Telly Savalas. And he's looking for, for plutonium for some reason? <laughs> yes, because because the Poseidon, as well as being a luxury superliner, was also carrying nuclear it's, weapons. It, it's <laughs> full of plutonium and machine guns. <laughs> and and gold. Yeah, so the good guys are, like, pirates looking for gold basically and the bad guys are potential nuclear terrorists it's so weird or at minimum arms dealers yeah yeah and it's basically has almost no ties to the first one and is just people exploring an upturned ship for 90 minutes it's really strange michael Caine's boat the the jenny you want to say yes you are correct Um, sees the the helicopter flying off and they just go to investigate it's like oh there might be something over there I lost my cargo the original plan was for a helicopter to come oh, in with Gene. and the second one and Gene Hackman is playing his twin brother yeah, searching no! for his brother yeah. <laughs> and it was like <laughs> but they couldn't get Hackman back so like oh shit what do we I do want, now I wonder why yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I, I heard they had lined up Clint Eastwood yes and like um, Clint Eastwood John, John Wayne. Wayne and Burt Reynolds were all offered the role they all read the script told Owen Allen to fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> and Michael Caine was shoehorned in at the last yeah. minute. He was cast really, really late, and you can tell. Because... Michael, it's not going so well for me at the moment, oh, Caine. Yeah. <laughs> I heard on, I was reading a review of this film the other day, and somebody described Michael Caine's career at this point as post-good, pre-good again, Michael <laughs> And now he's back to being bad again, present day. Yeah, it's a, it's a weird one in the... Like, people clearly saw what was coming. And it was because of the, surprise, surprise, studio pressure after the success of the first film. I feel like I'm, it's my (laughs) fucking catchphrase on this show. Mm -hmm. And because, like I said, the first one was made on like a $4 million budget and made like 60 or 70 million or something like that. It completely was a huge success that nobody... It's like 134 million, isn't it? It it ended up being that, yeah, yeah, yeah. It ended up being huge. And they doubled the budget for the second one somehow despite the fact nothing really happens yeah it's like the budget all goes into the special effects and the tidal waves and the cast and stuff i guess is michael kane particularly expensive at that point i guess he must be like, like that's no. crazy <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy to me because like even allowing for inflation and stuff the fact that the poseidon yeah. venture was made on four million dollars this is, is a ten, t- estimated 10 million dollar yeah budget is, it, is incredible because it actually looks like really like you can tell that obviously when it capsizes a lot of it is just we made sets that look like the place upside down and yes. you know and, and various things like that but it still looks really good like uh, and it's a really you know efficient use they've done really clever shooting and it you constantly feel like real peril and this one 
there are no big set pieces like water, like really like rushing into like mm. flood the place, um, like the ballroom that happens in the Poseidon yes. Adventure and stuff like that. And I cannot imagine where the money went in this one. I think a lot of it comes down to, if I'm honest, Owen Allen being a producer first, director second, yeah. and Ronald Neem, the director of the first one, being brought on by the studio. The first film, in all by all rights, should have been a fucking shit show. Because the studio said to Alan, yeah, we don't want you doing this. I'm pretty sure they said, we want to, we will pick the director. And they picked Ronald Neen. And again, he did a great job and he brought this thing in. And I think he had a lot of experience on big sort of films like this. And it, it worked out rather well. And, and this is the weird thing. Because Owen Allen has been producer on some of the biggest, or if, if not all of these classic sort of disaster films. It's his, it's his thing, basically. It's his wheelhouse. But behind the camera, he either doesn't have the experience or the knowledge or the understanding of certain pieces um and and if you ever see the interviews around the time it explains everything you need to know about his outlook on how films are made it was also the last time he directed a film (laughs) like literally ended his career as a director like yeah that's that's fairly understandable matt and i were, were talking about this earlier because on youtube there is a great made-for-TV documentary on the making of Beyond the Poseidon Adventure, and it's got loads of interview footage with Owen Allen, and he talks about his approach to scripting. Now, the script infamously changed on a daily basis on the set, and part of the reason why it's thought the performances are so mediocre is because the actors were given no time at all to actually work with the script. It was literally they were given the lines and then had to read them you know, the first time they were reading them was as the camera was rolling. During that documentary, there's a point where he says, you never really finish writing a script. They go on and on and on, right until the last day of photography. <laughs> I think that, that quote yeah. really tells you everything you need to know about... I, I mean, it's true to an extent. You'll always be fiddling with little things and bits that don't work on the not day, the but story. but not the story and all the lines. Well, he, he's, he added that. He said, he said um, I can't remember the exact quote, but it was the idea that the, he was like, the script feeds the sketches, the sketches feed the design, the design feeds the sets, and then the whole thing is repeated. It's like, no, the script is written as a story, and then you figure out all the set pieces. You don't what and but apparently with the idea of like oh we're gonna have this happen and again much like we do now with um uh films being a series of moments for trailers as opposed to like oh my god xyz this is happening turn to camera etc and i think one from from fucking geostorm if i remember correctly geostorm yeah, my it goodness. is the who, who do we call everyone and it's like oh fuck's sake it's literally designed it's not it doesn't further the plot it doesn't really think it's just designed for a moment that can be put in trailer or clip and I think very much the way that film Beyond the Poseidon Adventure was structured is the same thing. Like, oh, we'll have an idea for a thing. We'll write a bit of an example of what might happen in the story where people might go and want them. And then we'll build the set and then we'll figure out the next bit. It's like, that's dumb. I think the mistake was that they went, you know what people really liked in Poseidon Adventure? The set pieces, right? That's why people are here. People want tidal waves. And it's like, well... People kind of related to the human element. That's yeah. what made it work, is that the characters are very relatable. And Do you not like have... whaling Sally Field? Yeah. <laughs> that's, like, yeah. that's my definition of... Uh... Human? <laughs> yeah. The thing is, I don't get it, because she 
went on to be she won two good. Oscars. Yeah. In <laughs> <laughs> this film, you're like, oh, hello, hello, free good Sally Field. How did you get here? She said it was the least favorite of any movie she's ever done and almost put her off acting for the rest of her career. That's can, how bad I her can, experience was. It shows. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. I feel like no one in this film, though, is written to be a human person. Like, like Poseidon Adventure is great for, you know, everyone's having these, like, reactions to the... different reactions to the, the disaster, but they all kind of make sense. Whereas in this, obviously, it's people coming in, they haven't... Exp- or, well, actually, no, because half the group are survivors but you've got people coming in to salvage and stuff so they're going to have a different mindset but none of them act like human beings would act mm-hmm. apart uh, but like the closest to a human being is possibly telly savalas as, as, as a scene chewing villain yeah like i will watch it for him because he he's basically just taken straight off the page of of blofeld yeah. In um, on a Majesty's Secret Service, and just like, hello, I'm doing another role. I'm being a villain. Hmm. This, if we open that barrel, we'll die. It's like, oh, this is fucking awful and Sh- brilliant. Shoot her. <laughs> <laughs> so terrible. But I think this is the thing as well. Erwin Allen came from a TV background, and this, in terms of looks and sound and feel, and uh, literally, even with Telly Savalas being the sort of Kojak at the time and things, feels like a fucking TV, really hype TV special. And even when like. I mean, the shot they always seem to use and ever promote this film is, I don't know what it is exactly, but that, what's that huge metal cuboid that falls yeah, through falls multiple floors? Stairs, what, what is that? I don't remember it's all like a vent or a, something. Either way, it looks fucking cheap and <laughs> shit. You, you mentioned the sound, and one thing that really stuck out to me amongst the, uh, uh, among the awfulness, the score is terrible. Fuck yeah, it is. And it's deployed, it like, never ever suits the tone of the scene it's like they wrote a, a semi-decent score but then they just rolled dice to like it's like <laughs> see where the tracks would end up it's, it's like hmm tense standoff involving guns and nuclear weapons let's put let's put kind of plonky comedy sounds down it, it's because it was John Williams it's, in the first one. Yeah, it's like the orchestra were on shuffle. <laughs> that, that would be a really fun way to watch Beyond the Poseidon Adventure, <laughs> with the soundtrack on shuffle. I don't know. I'd like to shuffle just my random shuffle. It just goes through, like, would, run the would jewels. It fix the problem and just, like, shuffle it back into order? <laughs> we can only hope. Like Dark Side of the Moon and uh, Wizard of Oz. Can you find an album that actually fits better than the soundtrack? Now, the weird thing about Beyond the Poseidon Adventure is it's based on a book again, isn't it? From the yes. same author. Again, yes. so there was pressure from the studio for him to write a sequel. Yes, and... not to your original book, no, but no. to the film. <laughs> so right. your second book has to follow on from the film, not your first the book. Second book. So the book ends with the ship sinking. The film ends with the ship afloat, as we mentioned, yes. capsized. Yeah. So at the beginning of the second book, the ship floats back up again. <laughs> I'm not making this shit up. And that came out the year before. So it's 1978 for the sequel book. And then 79 is the film. The great thing is they still didn't really use any of the plot in the film. I'm pretty sure at the end of that one, it it sinks again. But they're like, oh, fuck it, let's blow it up. And that looks cheap as well. But this is the thing we'll come back to again. Because in some future episode, we're going to cover Jurassic Park. And The Lost World is the same example. Like saying, this is great, do a sequel. But not to what you did, because we ignored a lot of that. Do, do a sequel that makes sense. It's like, okay, um, that's not working for us. We'll do another one that's just completely different. It's like, why the fuck did you bother asking me in the first place then? Yeah, pretty much. Am I right in thinking that the studio originally had a very different script for this one as well, didn't they? They, Or 
was it Irwin Allen or I don't know whose original idea it was, but it was originally meant to be the survivors of the first film are going on a train to testify in court. Correct. And then that train gets trapped in a tunnel and that's the disaster. Yeah, because in one... <laughs> it's a remarkably static disaster. Because in one sense, it's like, well, this is different. And in another sense, it's like, that is the lamest disaster. And is that the... turning into, like, Final Destination at that point? It's just natural disaster after natural disaster. Daylight with Stallone. It's the reworked script. It's the same yeah. script. No! It's reworked. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was later turned into the 1996... I was going to say because just I was jo- laughing at the concept of we're stuck on a train. The movie, and then that's literally de- I literally what it turned into is daylight. By God, so yep. it's not just coincidental. Nope. It's no, no, it's, it's genuinely they, they, wow. They, like any time a studio will have something left over, I'll say we can use this for something. I was like, fuck it, Stallone can do it. Yeah. <laughs> What's that one where he hung off a cliff? Uh, get Carter. Yeah, do that. <laughs> so, the fact that we're kind of sequelizing this weirdly enough has kind of been done before by our old pal Roger Ebert <laughs> who is brought up for, uh, fairly regularly on this Honorary show. sixth member of the right. sequelizing group. <laughs> the late great sixth member of sequelizers. So it's, it's his one star review of Beyond the Poseidon Adventure mentions an interview he had with Erwin Allen and uh, I'm just going to basically read the excerpt for you because it, it is just bizarre and um, Alec mentioned, so it opens with Owen Allen has the idea for the train sequel and Roger's just like, no. It was a great idea, terrific, if not actually stupendous, to quote Roger Ebert. And he thinks he has a better idea. Allen didn't seem too enthralled, but I told him anyway. There is, by the way, nothing quite so glazed as the eyes of a movie producer who has just seen his interviewer put his Penton rolling marker down, but I persisted. Here's what happens, I said. After everybody fights his or her way to the top and or bottom of the boat, surviving fires and floods and explosions, another big tidal wave comes along and turns the ship over again. And so the hapless survivors have to retrace their steps going back. But it makes no sense, said Owen Allen, because A, he probably wouldn't be able to reassemble the original cast, and B, lots of the original cast, like Shelley Winters and Gene Hackman, are killed in the original movie, so who are you going to top line? Hackman's gone for sure, I conceded. He lost his grip and fell into the flaming oil. But in the case of Winters, well, she says in the movie that she won the underwater swimming competition at the Young Women's Hebrew Association. And so maybe at the beginning of the sequel, she comes up gasping for air. And that's how you kick it off. (laughs) Oh, and Alan mulled over that for a fraction of a second. And then almost inevitably, probably our interview was over. And so it was with a great deal of curiosity that I went to see Beyond the Poseidon Adventure in order to see how he'd finally worked out how to do a sequel. <laughs> I think this is one of the best Roger Ebert sick burns. That I've ever had. <laughs> this is one of my favourite movie reviews ever. I think this is amazing. Oh my God. And yeah, I hasten to add it is a one star review. <laughs> For obvious reasons, he doesn't. He doesn't really talk about the film itself, and he he ends it in a very oh, what was the uh, the quote we did? It, it was he, but again for Highlander two, that was like, you should go and see it just because it's that terrible. Although I don't wish that upon anyone or something like that. <laughs> he basically ends his Poseidon Beyond the Poseidon Adventure with you need to go and see it for its amazing stupidity or something like that. <laughs> I think I think you need um share the link to that review in the in the show. That notes will be in the show notes, is, don't um, worry. It's one of the finest pieces of film criticism <laughs> slash <laughs> shit talking. <laughs> 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 
So what we're saying, people at home, is if you want to see 70s disaster movies, watch The Towering Inferno, and then watch The Poseidon Adventure, and then stop watching <laughs> 70s disaster movies. Then then read Roger Ebert's review of Beyond the Poseidon Adventure. Yes, that's the closest you want to get. Have a cup of tea. And watch Airplane. Oh, yeah, we should have done that anyway. Absolutely. <laughs> Speaking of terrible reviews, do you know the Rotten Tomatoes score for this? I do. I do. I, I do, so I have to pull myself. Yeah. Oh, do you? Really? I, I also, I oh. also know the wrong. Ooh, can I play? Can I play? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Okay, Tim versus Stuart, two, Ooh. one on Ooh. one, for the honor of your for team. For all the marbles. <laughs> yeah, for all the marbles. Yeah. See, right. So it's really boring. We were saying how the um, how the, it was the peril that kept the first one going. Correct. This one it isn't just a lack of tangible peril; it's just a lack of anything instigating fucking peril. It's just stupid nothing. Just stupid nothing is what it says on the box, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> and a picture of Roger Ebert just shrugging. <laughs> and the critics will have hated it at the time, like, hated it, because the first one's so beloved. Mostly contemporary reviews for the record. Oh, it's mostly contemporary. Oh, that changes it then. But... As in contemporary to the film. Oh, so, oh good. Oh, yes, that's not yeah. okay. I mean, there's always going to be somebody who likes it in there. I'm going to go in really low. I'm going to say 6%. Okay. Tim. I'm I'm going to go for the goose egg. I'm going to go for zero. Oh, interesting. Ooh. Interesting. You could be the right. Brown I, goose I, the brown goose egg. Yes, yes. I can imagine the reviewers at the time not being enamoured. So, yeah. Maybe nobody liked it. You're bang on the money, Tim. Oh, Shit, The reason son. these two know it is because it's a famous zero percenter. I should point out, though, I do think that Rotten Tomatoes is a bit unfair in this sense because there are only six reviews. Correct. And I'm sure that there were a lot more reviews of the time. It's only ones that have survived in the archives of the big yeah, publications. Yeah, they've obviously dug through old newspapers and magazines and things. But I do think it is fair to say that it, it did tank uh even it tanked to its contemporary audiences and it is not very fondly remembered today either that that tanking has held up it's it's the, it's the third zero percent we've had as well after mulan 2 highlander 2 and now poseidon adventure 2 <sighs> bloody hell the thing is that the internet is a beautiful place and wherever there is a gap or a, or a niche that needs to be filled something like that um they find us and they will always find us so we talk about the idea that, you know, as you say, that there probably were quite a few, or maybe just a few positive reviews. Don't worry, all those motherfuckers will find us and tweet us saying, I think it's the best disaster <laughs> film I've ever seen. <laughs> I... by, by all those motherfuckers, do you mean Michael Caine? Because that's... <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I yes. would like you to know, Master Sequelizers, that I think Beyond the Poseidon Adventure was an admirable slice of Michael Caine. I, I would go further than that. I would say it is the finest film on the water, Outside only, baby. Jaws four. The Revenge. <laughs> I spent, I spent another zero. <laughs> I spent eighteen months living in a capsized boat, preparing for that role. Does anybody remember that? No. Get Carter. You talk about all the bloody time. Pisidian adventure. <laughs> I think not. <laughs> There's a great bit in that interview we were mentioning earlier, the, the, the making of thing that they did for Warner, where um, Michael Caine's being interviewed. The only thing he has to say is, every time there's a stud, I like to look at it and think, how could it go wrong? And I think, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm like, fucking hell, Michael. There's, Show a bit of courage. Will, sorry if things can go wrong. <laughs> I will say there's another amazing... There are a few great Michael Caine bits in that documentary, which is great, and I would recommend I, I anyway. would too, actually. Um, but uh, there is one bit in it where he's talking about the scuba gear, because there's a scene, and he says... They all had to learn how yeah, to scuba yeah. dive for the film. And they yeah. all have to share the, the scuba gear at the climax. And he said, um, I have two problems with that. And the first one is that it is very difficult to breathe. The second one is... 
that I keep getting everybody else's colds. <laughs> <laughs> I, said, I'm like, I can't tell if you're being serious. He's, he's in the war at one point, and I think he says, I can't say, I can't, I can't say. And it's like, what the fuck is this? And there's a great moment as well, we'll later, um, very quickly. On the water, things are going, going as planned. And it's like, just literally a, a bit of static footage, as it were, and tons of radio recordings. I feel like the boats are moving, the boats are moving. I want the shot. Get that boat out of the way. It's like, wow, this sounds like a fucking disaster. <laughs> Can I also find out Kevin. one of the lines in the trailer is suspense. You won't believe. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh my god. I like that in the in the documentary, Michael Caine's only really talking about like the technical difficulties yeah. doesn't talk about the acting because you didn't give a shit. like yeah his 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 performance of a man trying to comfort his his friend through a unnamed terminal disease <laughs> is quite the thing yeah. <laughs> i also will say another great thing about that documentary which is worth watching over the film is yeah. um the, the, like the one interview is Sally Field like because they talked to all of the cast Sally Field's in it for about two seconds and she's just like yeah it was fun that's <laughs> like it like it's like it's such I a I assume it's cut short fun short but no it's such a did she just shout a, it as she drove past in the car or yeah, something yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's very telling that there's uh, no Telly Savalas interview in it whatsoever really I think they just turned up on like, one particular day on one particular shoot and they interviewed like Angela Carver and things like that, whatever it's be at the time. And, not um, Michael Caine. Not Michael Caine. And, um, I'm just happy to be in front of any camera, to be honest. <laughs> Takes me away from the depressing reality of my life. Because Peter Boyle keeps saying that he looks like he's lost and or angry. Yeah, I play uh, uh, New, uh, New Jersey. Uh, and it's like, fucking, do you care? Doesn't he? Doesn't he <laughs> yeah, I play. He's kind of a hard man, but he's also hysterical. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What the? Yeah, because my, uh, my character is a is a very uh, tough, hard sea man. Like, he's a he's a he? he's a hard bloke. Not unlike Michael Caine himself. Yeah, that's about I'm all you got on the character, by the way. He's yeah. also called Michael. I'm not. <laughs> I'm Michael. <laughs> I'm not afraid to kill a man. He's not afraid to kill a man. That's the kind of movie you're gonna see. I could see myself in that role because I lived on a capsized boat for eighteen months. <laughs> <laughs> um, before we leap into pictures and stuff. I just want to, we, we talked about Telly Savalas just being a Bond villain in this. Mm. I love that his henchmen show up all in white, yes. really suitable for salvaging like <laughs> yeah. stuff, matching uniforms, and also go aboard the ship. They're pretending to be doctors at that point, but are actually salvagers. Both of those are things that need equipment of various kinds, and they just go on <laughs> with like one bag between the three of them. <laughs> one stethoscope. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and... We all now know this is a zero percent sequel. What did the original get on Rotten Tomatoes? What do you think the percentage for? Oh, that'll be how that'll Poseidon be eighty-five. Eighty-five from Stuart. Alec, any ideas? I'm going to go bang on eighty. I think. Matthew. I mean, it was. The, I'm going to say it was low, just because the seventies, early seventies, was still there was enough curmudgeon saying it's bloody too loud. I'm going to say it's about seventy-three or four or something like that. 74, that's so funny. Tim? Mm, 77. It's a 79%. Ooh. So very close from a few of you. With an average of 6.8 out of 10. I don't think it's... That's a bit low. Yeah, that's a bit low. Yeah. But again, as I say, I think it's because it's a new thing. And uh, in the same way that um, Metropolis is one of the modern classics of the um, 
1927 it's, a, it's still a great film but at the time it was considered by some to be just a schlocky big budget film and it's like oh this is all just a bit pamp so that's why beyond the poseidon adventure doesn't work so many reasons why so how are you gentlemen gonna try and fix it Let's find out, shall we? Let's tease the listeners for next week's episode. <laughs> so, Alec and Stuart, I'll come to you first. What is your team name for this week, please, gentlemen? Our team name is Kojak Needs Plutonium. <laughs> <laughs> oh, doesn't he just? <sighs> so, how are you gents going to fix Beyond the Poseidon Adventure? Title, release year, cast, crew, elevator pitch. Certainly. Our film is called Beyond Poseidon. No adventure. No, oh. just Beyond I mean, Poseidon. It makes more sense. But oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And um, the reason our film is called Beyond Poseidon is because our film comes out in 1997, and in the 90s, you don't get a film title with that many words. <laughs> <laughs> the original pitch title from the studio was Poseidon Extreme. With the E missing on Extreme. Capital X. But no director would touch it until they changed it. So, <laughs> Our director is... I don't like it when you lead in with that tone, Alec. <laughs> <laughs> is uh, legendary Earthman Michael Bay. Oh, <laughs> my God. Hang on. Which, Before which... he was poisoned by Transformers. Yeah, did we say the yeah. year already? The year is 1997. So, so good Bay years. This is, yeah. Mm. We've had Bad Boys, we've had The Rock, and we've had the music video... Meatloaf's I Would Do Anything for Love, but I won't do that. About to have Armageddon. So this is, I assume, just before. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. We're hoping this will keep him on the straight and narrow and not allow him to slip into the sludge-filled pit of shit that he uh, inherits. That's quite the task. <laughs> so our composer is Earth Human John Williams. Oh, okay. We had to bring him back after the monstrous shitstorm that uh, Tim mentioned earlier that mm-hmm. was the Beyond the Poseidon Adventure random shuffle we got some stock music off that thing youtube lets you use for free john williams and michael bay is an interesting one yeah it's oh, a combination yeah. we've not seen before but you're seeing it now although you i don't imagine john williams is a fan of Wheel! on a guitar <laughs> <laughs> but he is on a violin so it's yeah. fine it's gonna it's gonna bring us a bit of tonal continuity yeah. gonna get vanessa may in to do some electric oh, violining yeah. Tutor and administrative error, they got the other John Williams. It's all very plinky guitar. So, our cast. The character of Robin Shelby is returning, the young lad. But now he's much older, and he's played by Nicolas Cage. Oh my god, you guys have gone deep. (laughs) Judy is played by Nicole Kidman. Larry Hamilton will be played by Paul Reiser. Bill Tate will be played by John Malkovich. And the character of David Tabor will be brought to life by one of my favourites, and maybe he's yours too, William H. Macy. Oh, oh good, yeah, right. I like it. Can we have a synopsis, please, Alec? Yeah. Uh, yes, we, of course we can, Stuart, my good friend. 25 years after the original Poseidon adventure, a new luxury cl- cruise liner is in deep trouble. But this time, it's more than just the rising waters that the passengers are up against. Aliens. Hawk alien. Oh my god. Is this going to be a, a stealth sort of sister picture to Deep Rising, if anyone else is aware of that? Oh, I've not seen answer. that. No. Yes. Yeah, I've seen the film. Weird mutated tentacle worms invade a cruise liner. I actually don't mind that ship. Uh, that ship, that film, sorry. It's, uh, yeah. it's half decent. Famke Anton kills the uh, bad guy with a flare gun. Yep. So there, Kojak needs plutonium. Matt and Tim, 
Who are you this time? I, I'm going to leave Matt to do this because I can't do impressions. And this, oh, oh. Uh, okay. this necessitates this, one. It, it does, I'm afraid. Uh, before I do anything else, I'm immediately getting flashbacks to... Uh, which is quite surprising because we're, um, we're passing the anniversary of obviously the the first episode of Sequelizer. This reminds me of the first episode of Sequelizer where you guys had Nicole Kidman led film in the nineties from a film in the seventies, and uh, yeah. we're sticking much closer to the time period. Oh, interesting. Mm. I'll get into the voice. Oh, wonderful! Here he is. You're only supposed to blow the bloody portholes off. But, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'll give you my good friend Michael Kane. Hello. This week, our team is called Boats. The size of tangerines. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Oh fucking hell! Uh, Tim, would you like to tell everybody what the film is called? Yes, our film is called Beyond the Poseidon Adventure, okay. and it's coming out in 1979. Yeah. Rather than Irwin Allen, we are getting Terence Young to direct, uh, who you may know from Thunderball. Uh, amongst others. Do know from Thunderball. That would mean he knows Telly Savalas. That would mean he knows Telly Savalas. Mm. I know Telly Savalas. I don't know Telly Savalas. <laughs> I think he died before I was born, but still. Uh, I should do our returning cast. It's very brief. Reprising the role of Rogo, Ernest Bornine. Yeah, hey. That's it. That's it. New cast. The role of Travis Hodgson is being played by William Holden from the Towering Inferno Network, Damien Omen 2, and goes on to many other things. Uh, the role of Jasper Hamilton is played by Jimmy Stewart from The Shootist, Airport 77, Big Sleep, lots of other things. Uh, Zofia Hamilton is played by Eva Gabor, by Eva Gabor from the Aristocats and the Rescuers, and that's what most of you know her from, and, you know, socialite fame. Uh, the role of Toby is played by Dennis Hopper, has been an easy rider in Apocalypse Now, goes on to be a rumblefish and other things. Uh, the role of Meinrad, or Meinrad, from The Boys from Brazil, Nosferatu the Vampire, eventually most famously goes on to be in Wings of Desire, and he plays Hitler in Downfall. So all those memes and clips you saw of the internet of like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's uh, Bruno Gantz, who's Swiss. But there we go. And the role of Audrey, um, from Henry VIII and his six wives and Zardoz, because fuck me, Zardoz, um, is Charlotte Rampling. <laughs> the old of Audrey is played by Sean Connery in a bold move from the 70s. You're welcome. Our composer, because it's Terence Young working, makes sense to bring on another Bond uh, alumni, uh, John Barry. So he's man with the golden gun, King Kong, Game of Death, some really big other things. Um, and he also did raise the Titanic, oddly enough, so we thought he'd have a thing. Lots of weird connections in our cast. So we've got, we've got William Holden, who... Uh, was a big, massive, massive, massive star in the 50s and 60s, like one of the most bankable stars in Hollywood. And obviously, 79, he's a bit faded from, from his yes. heights then, but it's still still a considerable name. He had previously worked with Ernest Bornine in The Revengers and would go on to work with Michael Caine in Ashanti. So there's lots of... Uh, there's weird... a little nods and pieces. Yeah. Yeah. No, they weren't planned. They just happened to... Just happened, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to throw it to Tim for our, some would say, controversial, if only for the reception earlier, mm. pitch. And by pitch, I course, mean synopsis, because that's yes. not how we do things. Our elevator pitch. Correct. Brace yourselves. Rogo and his lawyer travel to Austria to give testimony against the parent company of Poseidon when the train they are on is caught in a mountain tunnel cave-in. <laughs> you motherfuckers. Yep. But wait, there's more. Trying to escape, they learn not everyone is as they seem. Mm. Stallone was a good wow. guy all along. Yep. 
so we 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 um we're going back to like source material. I don't think there's anything we can capture from the book. And the same way we did like with the Jaws thing years ago, a year ago, I should say. Yes, I was thinking, oh, is there anything salvage here? Uh, oh, uh, I'll go back to Hull. Right. No, there's nothing here. There's nothing salvage. here. Salvage. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fucking yeah. puns. And the answer is no. The book had just made the characters much, uh, uh, well, significantly less likable. But we discussed the idea about this um, concept for this, uh, you know, train crashing, and thought that's going to be like under siege. So from boat to train, I don't know if it's going to work. I thought, hang on, what if we do this and pull an alien aliens and fill it with aliens? <laughs> um, and we thought, yeah, let's kind of change it up. Well, you'll have to wait for another week, <laughs> listeners, <laughs> to find out how. So yes, it's just very dramatically different and it will be very interesting. Hopefully you'll enjoy it. Yes. You won't enjoy us. <gasps> <gasps> On that note, we will see you next week for the the full pitches but I'd just like to remind everyone out there um, our sort of social media presence and stuff like that, including our Spotify account where you can find the soundtracks for the victorious movies from this season, uh, which is just sequelizers if you search in Spotify and we share those on social media and in the uh, episode descriptions and stuff. So uh, don't forget to check those out if you want to give yourself a, an audio dessert after the main course of the pitches. <laughs> Even go back and listen to the pitches with the soundtrack rolling on in the background. Exactly. If you can somehow listen to like a podcast app and Spotify, I don't know. Yeah, and you could do that. And then at the same time, you could have uh, Instagram loaded up and look at our collages of the actors as they looked at the time. We provide lots of things for you, listeners, mm. to make the immersive experience. Some would say lots of underappreciated things that we <laughs> we ourselves forget to promote properly. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Coming coming next year, sequelizes the virtual reality experience, <laughs> <laughs> which we'll also forget to promote. Yes, yeah. we'll, we'll tie it in with Lawnmower Man too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and on that note, we'll see you next week. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. Yeah, I've got no C puns to end on. Oh, Our bad man. boys and girls. That's a sea pun. <laughs> <laughs> boys. Oh, boys. And did he say girls yeah. or girls? Oh, oh, boys and girls. Oh, oh my God. Why did I not say girls?